brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A very big morena to you this morning, uh, being uh, a Wednesday, two days out from a long weekend, and uh, we've got a busy and diverse show, I think it's fair to say, today, because uh, Brent, uh, bring us uh, this show, your local John Deere equipment supplier, uh, they provide uh, a lot of equipment in times of need, and have done that on the East Coast in the last uh, month or so, wonderful gesture, and a brilliant company, so uh, support Brent, because they've supported you. Uh, also, uh, we're just after um, a sermon coming up, talked to Ray Tool. Ray Tool, you might not have known too much about Ray Tool yesterday. You'll know a bit more about him today because uh, he bowled Central Districts for victory yesterday, seven for fifty-seven. What an amazing performance! So we'll talk to Ray, who is a genuine hero at the moment, uh, a hero uh, of today and the past. Josh Cronfeld uh, comes to us, of course, former All Black. Josh can talk about uh, a little bit of Super Rugby, but also. Uh, he had an encounter with the bushwhackers not that long ago. We've got to talk to him about Butch, Bushwhacker Butch, Bushwhacker Butch, who uh, passed away yesterday in America, just by the by, passed away in America. Uh, lived uh, quite a lot of his uh, latter life in Parapara Umu Beach in Otaki, uh, but passed away in America. So we'll talk to Josh about Bushwhacker Butch. All right, uh, we'll also talk um, to Logan Swinkles because he's going to name the Warriors squad for us officially. Uh, that'll be before 10 o'clock. We'll have... Um, uh, we'll also have a multi then. Uh, just after uh, 10 o'clock, we'll talk to Brad Lewis on the subject of UFC and WWE and this massive merger, uh, which uh, sees um, all of these people make a truckload of money for be- other people beating the living hell out of each other. I just think it's the greatest business to be in if you're banking the cheque. Uh, James Regan and Ben Strang will be the panel this morning. Uh, also, uh, we shall have a lot of text, hopefully, on double eight double three on the temper bedpost text machine. It's the Masters not far away, and no one better to talk to than David Bolesky if you want a winner. You've heard all the rubbish that Kempe and Louie have talked for the last three hours. Well, this guy actually knows his stuff, David Bolesky. He tips winners. He knows exactly what's going on there. And talking about knowing what's going on, that's what Andy Thompson is when it comes to anything agricultural. So we'll catch up with him at 11.45 this morning because it's Wednesday, of course, and that means it's Rural Roundup. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Oh, God, the Americans, you just got to love them, don't you? They do know how to do a motorcade, really, they certainly do. Shades of O.J. Simpson and the white Bronco this morning, remembering back to that day, June 17th, 1994, where the world was gripped by a car chase that was so public, the old juice never had a chance. And again this morning, as Donald Trump leaves the courthouse in New York, the cameras follow him, and his eight-vehicle motorcade through every intersection, on-ramp, off-ramp, all the way to LaGuardia Airport. Watch him dismount and walk all by his lonesome up the 20-plus stairs into the back of his private Trump Force One jet, a Boeing 757 valued at a cool $100 million. Now, Donald is a very big fish to fry in every sense of the word, and time will only tell if the 34 charges laid up against him are really trumped up or not get that trumped up or not but how many people how many people are released on their own recognizance to take a journey like that and how big a circus will this be essentially to prove or disprove whether he paid the hooker 
to keep mum. The security bill alone this morning will have dwarfed what we lay out for gang crimes or ram ratings. And who's to say good old Stormy Daniels, who ignored the fine print on the disclosure agreement, wasn't waiting for Donald when he got back on his plane anyway? Wouldn't that just complete the farce? And can, you can tell it's a quiet morning on the sporting front. It was either Donald or Bushwhacker Butch. We shall get to the latter later. But it is an interesting comparison. The Trump circus or big time wrestling, which in his own way is more genuine. My money's on the grapplers. Well, last week's Central Districts were celebrating their Ford Trophy win over Canterbury, thanks in part to the batting heroics of Josh Clarkson. That's the white ball crown. Well, one of them at least. Tick. Yesterday, the Stags then snatched the Plunkett Shield away from Canterbury's grasp with a fantastic 188-run win over Auckland at Nelson's beautiful Saxton Oval. So that's the red ball crown. Tick. The latest uh, coming with paceman Ray Tool picking up career best figures of seven for 57 to dismantle the aces and uh, the hero of yesterday joins us this morning ray good morning to you morning sorry how are you oh, i'm really good how are you feeling <laughs> yeah pretty good yeah i've got to that'll be for a lot of the squad that'll be pretty two big uh, i'd say two wednesday hangovers in a row yeah it is um yeah something that we were a bit prepared for but um yeah nice to have it all end this way in the season can you believe after day one, which was completely and utterly washed out, you were going to end the match like this? Uh, not really. It was um, one of those where you just go, you hopefully try and make a game out of it. And, um, yeah, didn't really see the day turning out the way it did. But, um, yeah, can't really believe it. But it was almost like that Rangiora game against Canterbury when... We had another three-day fixture after the first day being rained out, so yeah, at least we had a bit of practice for that. Of course, this was a game that was delayed anyway uh, because of uh, Cyclone Gabriel and the effects of it around the Hawke's Bay area uh, and the way that the Stags had uh, decided they'd rather help out than play cricket at the time. So it had a bit of meaning anyway, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. That was um, awful what happened up in, in the Hawke's Bay and the rest of the country, and um, yeah lads got around, uh, family and friends who'd been affected and it was nice that uh, Auckland decided to agree to delay the game as well for us. Well, not only that, um, they also agreed uh, in their own way to uh, play a part in the game as well. Though, uh, after you declared in the first innings nine down, they got to 161 for one and uh, for all intents and purposes, they could have batted you out of it. Did you get a surprise as a unit when they declared at 161 for one? Did, did you expect that at all? Um, we were kind of talking about uh, they'd, well, we'd hoping that they'd want to make a game out of it with um, Will Somerville's last game and just, yeah, trying to, you know, get a result in uh, matches like these, especially with a rained off day. So it was a bit of a surprise, but also it was, um, we were kind of expecting at some stage for them to look to make a game of it. Well, you set them a pretty generous uh, declaration. I think uh, 300 is never that, that easy. 292, just short of that. But plenty of overs and plenty of time. So 
What did you feel as, as you went out trying to bowl them out? What was the feeling there in terms of uh, how you rated it, particularly with the pitch conditions? Yeah, it was um, quite slow and a little soft to start the game. Um, and then I think it just, over the few days, it you know hardened up and quickened up a bit. And yeah, heading out on that on the last day, just as a unit, just just we didn't want to leave anything out there. You know, stick with our plan A's and see how that goes, and then uh, decide whether we move to our plan B's or not. And kind of just all fell into place. Felt like. It's incredible uh, when you look at it. Um, in the end, you knocked them over for just 103, a uh, 188-run win, which is... I mean, I looked at it. I got a text from the producer to say Central Districts have won by 188 runs, and I said, no way. I had to check it. I just couldn't believe it. I mean, it, it just happened so quickly. Yeah, it, it's been a bit of a blur. Um, yeah, certainly didn't expect it to, to end the way it did. And, um, yeah, we're... Yeah, we were prepared for a big partnership there in the middle, and they just, yeah, it's just things just fell into place. I guess it's yeah hard to describe. So Ray, tell us a wee bit about yourself. You're a left arm, uh, left arm um, bowler. Tell us about um, how you've come through to Central Districts ranks. Yeah, so I uh, came over um, in the Massey University Global Student Program. I went and studied a final term. Palmerston North, um, played cricket there um, and played with one or two and then through CDA uh, was part of the winter squad in 2019 and got my debut that season and yeah, been a part of the team since. So 7 for 57, um, your your best ever figures. What was the secret to, from your point of view yesterday? What what did you find different or, or what did you try that came off? Um, I was just looking at now, now my my links really, and get them playing at every ball, trying to create as many chances as we can. Uh, yeah, bring in both edges, and yeah, it's just um, trying to set attacking fields as well. Use the conditions as best we can over and around the wicket. Um, but in terms of the game plan, it didn't really change much for me. Um, yeah. It was, it's just one of those days where you know, those edges carry and yeah well, well it's an interesting one for me Ray because um, I look who uh, wasn't available to central districts and there was a number of players of course away on a duty um, or uh, or other duties around the country so an injury so no Bracewell, no Tickner, no Randall no Rance, no Ajaz Patel I imagine uh, this makes it even more sweet for you guys yeah, definitely, and I think it's a testament to um, you know, our age program and our wider squad. They've been a part of all our trainings, and you know they've put a lot of work in behind the scenes, and for them to come in and you know fit seamlessly in when we've had guys playing in higher honours and injuries, yeah, you know, just shows the squad depth that we have. First time Central Districts have done the double, the Ford Trophy and the Plunkett Shield, so. I would imagine there's some relatively happy administrators down there as well as the players. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, across the board, everyone's super proud of uh, the achievement that we had this season, and um, especially with Rob after leaving us for South African duty, definitely set that platform as well. And it's one of the goals at the start of the season, so it was nice to nice to tick them off.
You've had uh, time playing in England. Are you uh, anticipating perhaps heading back that way yourself? Yeah, I am. I'm uh, heading in the next couple of days. I'll be flying out to to England and uh, I'll be based up just outside Newcastle this year. So, yeah, it should be exciting. It's a quick turnaround, but um, a few days rest and be re- ready to go again. So what what's the league you're playing in up there? I'm playing in the North East Premier League. Um, in the Durham County. So how much cricket would you anticipate playing over the course of that, that uh, particular English summer? Um, I'll be playing till, till early September, so get, get five months in, which will be good, and hopefully keep pushing and see how things go over there. Ray, I'm an old guy, and uh, I used to play for the Plunkett Shield as well. Um, it then was uh, decommissioned, and it's come back in. Uh, back in those days, to win the Plunkett Shield was the ultimate for us. Where does it rank for the players in the current crop? Uh, it's, it's still the same for us. It's definitely the hardest hardest one to win, and you know one of those trophies that you prize the most. And yeah, no, it's a, a pretty special one to win, and you know, it doesn't come round often. So yeah. And just just finally, uh, what just finally, what are the uh, aspirations for Ray Tool going ahead? Twenty five years of age. What are your aspirations, Ray? Just keep trying to push my game um, each year, looking to improve best I can, and you know play at the level, the highest level I can. Um, yeah, that's been been pretty good so far, and yeah. Who's been who's your who's your mentor or who's been working with you? Um, well, I started with uh, Jacob Warren out at Massey, um, and then, yeah, just uh, did a lot of work with Wheels when he was injured. He was still around the group, Ben Wheeler, um, a fellow left armour, and uh, put a lot of work into me, and um, Rob and Alden, the coaches at CD. Yeah, so I've had a, a few along the way, which has been pretty special to have. How did you celebrate, you guys? Did you just dressing room it, or did you have a good look around Nelson? Uh, yeah, we are in the rooms, uh, went out to the pitch, and um, then uh, Josh Clarkson's family uh, kindly hosted us for a, a late barbecue, which was um, a pretty good way to cap off the night. Oh, well, uh, all the best when you're in England. Will you get a chance to get to uh, any of the Ashes test matches? Yeah, I'll be looking to. It'll be quite cool to get over to those. So, yeah, it should be a good opportunity. Yeah, I think your closest one might be uh, Headingley, actually. I'm not quite sure what the dates are there, but I think it's about an hour's drive. So uh, that might be worth uh, taking a visit to. So, hey, look, thanks very much uh, for joining us, uh, Ray. I know it's been a, a big day and a big night for you, but uh, all the best. Uh, congratulations on a wonderful performance, 7 for 57. Uh, terrific season for the Stags, and uh, all the best. Travel safe. Thank you. Thanks very much. Cheers, Ray. Cheers, uh, Ray Tullier. Um, 7.57, yeah. It's absolutely outstanding um, when you look at that. Now, that was a flat pitch. Uh, they won 61 for one in the first innings. I take my hat off to Auckland, actually, and I'm not just because I'm a Central Stags person uh, of the past. I'm also an Auckland player of the past, but I take my hat off to um, the Auckland Aces, their captain, their, their leadership group who decided to play cricket. Uh, they didn't have to. They could have batted Central Districts out of that. At 161 for one, Central Districts were thinking, we're done, we're toast. Uh, we're going to be out here for the best part of another day and a bit. 
we will not have an opportunity to get enough runs to bowl them out again. So therefore, um, the, ramp, the, plunk, uh, the plunket shield has gone. It's just gone. We have not got that opportunity. And all of a sudden, you get a group of guys who turn around and say, for the good of the game, for the good of everything, uh, let's play some cricket. And uh, they uh, enter into it. Takes two teams, takes two captains uh, to enter into that kind of contest. But that's what cricket needs at four-day level. Uh, so what's going to bring the people back is outright results and that kind of attitude. So uh, I pay a, a special tribute to, um, I think it was Ben Horn was the uh, Auckland captain. If I'm wrong, I apologise, but I think it was Ben Horn. Um, comes from a very sporting family. So I, I, I appreciate um, from cricket's point of view more than anything else. I know a lot of Canterbury people will feel a bit miffed about it, um, but if they look at the bigger picture, um, and the, you know they'll probably realise that for the good of cricket, for the good of the spectacle, for the good of competition and the Plunkett Shield, uh, it was good. It could have backfired on CD. Auckland could have got the runs. In fact, I picked them to do that going into it, uh, but they were knocked over for 103. So a good story. Good story to end the first-class cricket season, and uh, Ray Tool very much part of it. 9.20 here on SCNZ. Field, summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Yeah, a couple of texts uh, have come in regarding the cricket. Yeah, right, you asked me. Ben Horn was captain with Robbie O'Donnell out for the New Zealand A. Um, that was interesting in itself. That's why I asked the question about the Plunkett Shield and how important it was to the players. Um, and Ray Tool saying that, that it was still, um, you know, one of the ultimate things to do. Uh, just uh, I understand, too, that um, there was a clash and it was a late, uh, late arranged fixture because of the cyclone, so it wouldn't have been on anyway um, normally. Uh, so it did clash with New Zealand A against Australia, which took a few players out of it. So it'd be interesting to see where their uh, real thoughts were, whether they were with um, their teammates in Nelson. Um, or I guess you can't turn down the opportunity to play for New Zealand A, but I, I would have thought one or two of them might have preferred to be at Saxton Oval. Uh, but uh, that is by the by. Tell that to Canterbury comes in as well. Yeah, um, as I said, there'll be a lot of people in Canterbury, but uh, particularly the cricketing people, a little bit disappointed about the whole deal, thinking that... Perhaps Central Districts, if you want to win the trophy, you've got to go out and win that game and earn the right to, to lift it. So rather than have it handed to you, I don't think they had it handed to them. Um, it was just that two teams uh, wanted to play cricket. It was, it was a fair run chase, and uh, Auckland will uh, probably kick themselves a wee bit that they didn't perform a little bit better than that on the performance of their f- on the backup of their performance in the first innings. 161 for one. You would have thought that uh, perhaps they'd be able to chase that down. But it did end the career yesterday of the, te- uh, the first-class career of uh, Will Somerville. Uh, Will Somerville, uh, 38 years of age. They nicknamed him Dad for that reason, obviously. Uh, played for a long, long time with um, Otago, New South Wales, Sydney Sixers and Auckland. Of course, he played six test matches for the Black Caps. Was um, um, a, a very tall right arm uh, of spinner. And, um, you know, he looked uh, very, very promising at times. But like uh, all spinners in this country... Um, of course, um, not really able to get a fair crack of the whip at home. So uh, played a little bit on the subcontinent, played a test or two, at least one anyway, that I can recall against uh, Australia at the Sydney Cricket Ground uh, when we were uh, slightly embarrassed. But uh, Will Somerville, so um, congratulations on uh, a pretty good career there. I was just thinking, Logan, uh, the boys are talking this morning about what you'd serve up if you were the Masters champion. What would you, what would you, rec- what would you go with? What would you go with in your own thinking? 
well, the reason why I highlighted Scotty Schiffler's menu is because I, f- I feel like it's really similar to something I would do, actually. I like the steak option. Steak is always a good winner. I'm not a huge fish guy myself or seafood, so that definitely wouldn't be anywhere in the reckoning. Um, and I'm, I'm getting really into – this is something you probably won't know about me. I'm getting really big into doing American barbecue myself, You learning the techniques and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I love a good uh, pulled pork or a, or a um, pork belly or something along those lines, mate. I think that would really go down a treat. And then for a dessert, man, I just yeah. I mean, he's he served up that uh, pizzuki, the pizza cookie. That is uh, <laughs> that's not for everyone, but it's a good one. I I love a good chocolate brownie, mate. Maybe just a simple chocolate brownie and some ice cream. Um, so you're a bit of a you're a bit of a brisket man then. Oh, I, I love a good brisket too. I attempted it for Christmas and I, I did all right. Um, it's definitely, it's probably the hardest one. It's the one you got to spend the most attention on. Uh, a pork, yeah. you kind of can set and forget it. Whereas, <laughs> yeah, I'd, whereas beef brisket, it could, uh, it could go south very quickly. You could go very dry. You could screw it up. You just got to make sure you're checking those temperatures and doing everything right. But I'm, I'm definitely thinking my master's uh, menu it's definitely gone with that sort of American barbecue theme. Maybe I might throw in a little. I love Mexican food as well, so I might throw in a little bit there too. What about you, Smithy? Mm. Well, um, you've got to work out whether it's your favourite meal or whether it's the meal that you think will please them, if you get my drift. In other words, what, what will I serve up what I, I, I really think is what I want, my favourite meal, and whether they like it or not, tough bickies, so to speak, um, or whether... Um, I serve one up that's going to make them happy and that sort of thing. And I've gone selfish because I'm probably only going to win the Masters once if I ever win it. Um, so therefore, I'm going to go selfish. So I'm going to go raw bluff oysters. Got to have some raw bluff oysters. Get them over there, chilled. Um, so saltwater seafood from uh, Hastings, well, they'll deliver them over. Um, so I'll have um, all the oysters that I want. And they'll also deliver some light kempi, my favourite seafood, uh, to give them the, the, white, uh, the white meat option. Um, I'll go with um, the South Island, uh, the Chatham Islands Blue Cod as well as that option. But for the favourite meal, I've got to give them a snitty. A schnitzel with a whole lot of extra, jug of extra gravy each, right? Some, a lot of peas, it's got to be peas in there, beautiful peas. And my wife's potato bake, which is world class, award winning, Michelin style. It is just the best. So that would be part of it as well. And then, of course, because there's a few Australians who have won the Masters over the years, <laughs> I'm going to serve up Pavlova and claim it. Nice. Love it. Yeah? I'm yeah. going to serve up Pavlova and claim it as New Zealand. 9.30 here on SENZ. New tag team from New Zealand. When we first went out, the music started playing and that they, they did the music. And I started uh, doing the arm gimmick and I could see the reaction of the people. And I said to Luke, start swinging your arms. He said, I can't make my bloody shoulders sore. I said, swing your bloody arms. Absolutely love that. And yesterday we got the sad news that New Zealand sport lost a true icon with the passing of Butch Miller, a.k.a. Robert Miller, one half of the Bushwhackers. He was 78 uh, when he passed in America for many Kiwi kids growing up on pro wrestling. Seeing a duo representing us on that stage was special. And today 
the WWE is absolutely everywhere. And there's only one man who knows, who uh, loves wrestling, uh, rugby and surfing, and who knows, of course, uh, Butch Miller himself, because he's uh, had some interaction with him, shall we say, and that's former All Black uh, flanker Josh Cronfield, one of our greats. Good morning to you, Josh. Hey, and you're right. Oh, I'm very good. Uh, yeah, news coming through yesterday. <laughs> Quite sad. What a character and, and what an image oh, they portrayed. Man. Yeah, look, I, I actually, it's, it's, when you only meet someone a few times and, and, and they create an impression, um, and he was one of those sort of characters. And so uh, I definitely had to take a, a little moment to um, digest that he was gone, you know, because he's such a huge character. Um, you know, not just in the, uh, the wrestling world, just just in person. You know, like you're instantly captivated by him. He had a, he was just a true entertainer and um, and and just lovely man with it. You know, and that and that voice, so distinctive. You know, and the t- <laughs> tongue coming out and licking you and things like that as well. <laughs> you, ne- you never, know, become, never but... knew when the tongue was going to come out. <laughs> they became a cult. I mean, you know, everyone walked like that. It was a cult. Yeah, and no, I was massive in the nineties. I mean, they they wrestled through uh, three decades. You know, like they were the sheep herders before um, when they did uh, the sort of the what is it, Los Pastoros or whatever. I can't I can't remember the exact competition. The the Mexican side of things, and uh, you know, and they wrestled all over the world. And uh, but I think everybody knows them mostly as the Bushwhackers because. Um, in the 90s, they just took over because they were just nuts. No one had ever seen anything like it, and um, and that, and that's and they just brought what was them uh, to the stage. But you, you know, some of these stories were just out of control of the situations that they used to get into, just as you know, going into uh, locations to wrestle. It was just uh, mind-boggling, um, and they. That's a, so, so that's a history or, or a wealth of knowledge um, that's just gone. Yeah, it is gone, um, but it never will be forgotten. What I, I looked, uh, I did a little bit of homework on him. Uh, I got to say, Josh, and I, I read a stat: yeah. five, five foot eight, five foot eight, uh, one hundred and thirteen <laughs> kilos. When uh, that's his, his fighting weight, that's his build fighting weight. Five foot eight, oh, mate. No. That's halfback. Oh no. I know, and by the end of it, you know, when it, after he had all his operations, he was shorter again. So uh, he was just massive in, in stature, though. Right? Uh, he just had a way of, of just capturing the crowd. You know, um, you know, uh, Butch, I think was the was the, the guy that sort of started things, and, and Luke just got a, got on board. You know, and, and together they just created something really special. You know. Um, I mean, I still remember them uh, marching around the stage and and and, and, their, and their antics while they were fighting. It was it was uh, fantastic. Well, they were inducted into uh, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, so yes. Um, yes. obviously that meant the world respected them as well. Yeah, no, look, they they were a special cut. Co- you know, group and a duo, duo. That's the word I want to say, and um, and a. I think the the world will be uh, not as bright uh, now that Butch has passed because he, he like if he tuned up today to talk on the radio, you just would have seen the next level of Butch at seventy eight. You know that's just that's just who he was. 
Yeah, a very special man, and uh, there'll be a lot of tributes over the next uh, few days, I'm sure, from hopefully from the the wrestling fraternity as well. I mean, you know that that was the forerunner. He was almost part of the forerunner um, of it. Uh, can you believe how big it's got, Josh? Uh, the WWE. Uh, I mean, it's competing now, not, competing now with UFC, yeah. of course. Yeah, not at all. Look, um, I mean, they've they've always been uh, a level of entertainment, and and there's obviously there's a lot of different brands and franchises around the world that all kind of lead up to that's the the final uh, sort of, I guess, place you can go if you're going to be a professional wrestler. But you've got to go through the different brands and whether it's in Japan and um, and then and work through from either UK and then get there. And it's just, it's, and, and so that's the pinnacle and that's what you, what you do. And, Yes, they just have to get uh, bigger and brighter and crazier because the UFC is, is, I guess, the next level of, uh, of, of competitive fighting that people get to watch and get entertained by, you know. So, um, but that's, that's the game. They've, they've survived, uh, I mean, it's, uh, how many decades has it been now um, yeah. of doing what they do and people still turn out to watch them? I mean, you go to one of those nights or those wrestling nights, they're never what you expect. And, um, and and even if it's something that you wouldn't watch normally on te- television, going and watching it live is just a whole different ball game because uh, everybody just gets on board, you know. Uh, whether you like the characters or don't like the characters, you just you, <laughs> and you can you can go nuts with them, and and it's just fantastic. And so we're Josh, there, there's a fight break out off the stage, come off the stage <laughs> into the crowd, and you're part of it. You know, it's fantastic. <laughs> Wouldn't happen in cricket. <laughs> <laughs> it right should. Maybe a few more... Maybe a few more people would go if it did. Hey, hey here's the thing, mate. <laughs> hey, look, here's an interesting thing developing now. There's a merger between the WWE with uh, McMahon and Dana White are all getting together. You're probably a little bit yep. over this. But I look at it and I just wonder whether UFC are a little bit worried about... You take someone like a Ronda Rousey, right? Now, Ronda Rousey was yep. huge in the women's side of UFC. Then, of course, yep. um, you know, her, her mantle got toppled over, I think it was by... Um, home yeah uh, um, and she knocked her out Uh, and then of course she just took a hiatus and all of a sudden she's been reborn in wwe as such now i'm not sure you probably know more about that she'd be making more money in the wwe than the ufc crikey i wouldn't know mate that's not that's i've never wrestled to that that extent mate i i I made one uh show here in new zealand and um and that was it. I, you know, I was done and dusted. You know, <laughs> one man show, and I, and I think my 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 payment was a was a handshake. So, I don't know what the, what, what sort of money they would make. Um, and but you know what? Isn't it fantastic though? That you know, I, I think that's just part of the progression of all those. You know, if you look go through history and how the WWE's. Um, transformed into what it is and from where it came from and there's been different competitions they they create a massive story around you know uh, a, a breakdown or, or or falling out and next thing um, we've got the new um, greatest best thing and we're all on board and that's and that's that's what um, I guess uh, you know this this union sort of will will be the next progression. We'll see the new chapter, per se. And then on, on the flip side of that, 
doesn't it isn't it nice that some of these these athletes who who sink a lot of time into their into that sport and it's a very short time and they they can get really you know like seriously injured by doing what they do but they can come out the backside of that when you know their time is done and effectively it is time to move on to something else they can still stay in a realm that is close to something that they know and yeah. and they be, and can create a personality that's uh <laughs> that's maybe bigger than them, you know, because yeah, that's who they were yeah. when they were actually, you know, uh, competitively fighting. And so um, I think it's kind of wonderful, you know, like, as you know, uh, being a professional sportsman and when you finish up, um, how do you replace that? It's really, really tough, you know, because you go on and mm. come out of a, a sport where you are damn good at it and um, you love doing it and you get paid quite a significant amount of money for doing it. And find a job that does all those things, and plus the adoration you get out of it, that that supplies all those things. Very difficult. And so, you know, mental health-wise, what a nice progression to go into. Absolutely, and that uh, Jeez, is very, very important. You, you, you did get a little bit deep. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was, I was thinking, I was thinking about giving, asking you to do a Super Rugby review, but I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm just fascinated by this. Uh, but, I'll, but, but, but we can do Super Rugby. I will. Well, well, I will. I'll ask. What, what about them Highlanders? Uh, they, they've just turned it around a wee bit. Yeah. Look, like I, I, I don't think uh, you know, like everybody uh, was throwing their arms up in the air in those first few games and. And, and I kind of understood it, and but you could see the nuts and bolts were there, and it was they were just just too impatient to try and use the ball, and um, you know like and like they do these amazing you know like even in that, the first game against the Blues where they they got knocked over quite severely, they did, they had the ball for a lot of the time and were making great inroads into the into the blues but then would just throw the stupidest pass or or make the dumbest mistake or clean drop it you know like um with no pressure and that and you just can't do that at super level you know and to be honest i'd say apart by the top four teams the teams that that all the other teams are pretty close they put in pretty good efforts but they just they're just doing dumb stuff, and then next thing, the game's gone because the other team's picked up the ball, you know, got an intercept or um, and scored up their end, other end, and they're um, 20, 30 points ahead of you. And it's just because they're just not having that patience. And um, you know, it's it's a no-brainer if you want to turn it around and be competitive. You just need to hold the ball, and if if you've got the ball and you own it for the whole 80 minutes, it's very hard for another team to win. It is absolutely very hard to win. Just finally, Josh, the loose forward situation. Um, how are you looking towards the end of the year? How are you feeling about that at this early stage? Oh, look, I, I, I'm not. I, I don't know where they're going to go, and um, and, I'm, I, and I wonder if Fozzy has those same uh, thought processes. You know, uh, we've got three very good open sides. Um, we're playing one at eight. Um, and it's like, well, who do we, you know, who who who's the combination for, um, you know, out there, uh, you know, a starting test team, and because um, they they want severely want to get probably all those guys on the field, but 
you know, you've only got three positions plus the, the possibly two on a bench. It's like, well, how do how do how do we manicure that? And and I I, I don't know what the answer is. Um, and it might be making some hard decisions. But for me, it's all about finding who's going to be our, our eight and who's going to be our six and what fills those roads, those roles and then complement it with who's the best seven for, for those two positions. And th- that's what it's got to be all about going into this World Cup is the combinations. And that, for me, it's at uh, seven, six and eight and also at midfield, 12 and 13. You know, we, we just... We don't know what we're doing in those two combinations. And if we can find that, I think we'll be a really strong um, chance for the World Cup. But that's going to be the hard, hard find. Because we just, people drop it out. Injuries left, right and centre too, which doesn't help. Yeah. Yep, there's a high attrition rate. There's no doubt about that uh, so early in the season. Very concerning. Hey, thank you so much for the chat about Bushwhacker Butch. What a character. Um, oh, and so, yeah. ha- so happy you got to spend some quality time with the guy. And uh, I'm sure over the next few days you'll uh, have some, some great thoughts about it. Josh, uh, really appreciate your time, mate. Have a, have a great day, eh? No worries, buddy. Thanks, mate. You too. Cheers. Bye. Yeah, Josh Cromfield there. Um, <laughs> it was just brilliant, wasn't it, to hear those uh, those stories, those recollections. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Josh went into the ring himself, but <laughs> one only. I was going to ask him if he was interested in going back, but I think he put the f- full stop on that right from the outset. Uh, but yeah, what a great uh, story, yeah. Uh, he spent a lot of time, uh, his latter years of his life, at Paraparaumi Beach and uh, Otaki Beach as well. Uh, but most of that time, he was in, living in uh, pretty poor health. So it ended. Uh, it ended um, uh, just yesterday in uh, America. 9.46 here on SENZ. To help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the hole Know when the fold Smithy's multi. Know when the walk away. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Radio today we have the 76ers uh, to beat the Boston Celtics at a dollar sixty nine. Both of those sides form fluctuates so much. It's uh, it's a case of uh, pick the lucky one today. I feel, but the 76ers are uh, the bookies' favourites at a dollar sixty nine. So I'll follow that. Uh, the Blue Jays to, to uh, please Logan Swinkles. I'll take the Blue Jays to beat the Kansas City Royals today in the Major League Baseball. Hopefully they'll break my duck on baseball because of uh, 0 for 2 on baseball this week. Uh, that's at $1.56. And tomorrow morning there is uh, an EPL game of footy on. And uh, that will be Manchester United against uh, Brentford at $1.62. So $4.27. That multi's up. The 76 is the Blue Jays into Man U. $4.27. And on the subject of football, you see, were four matches played this morning in the EPL. And if you haven't heard, uh, Brighton beat Bournemouth 2-0. And that was away from home. Leeds, a very valuable win over Nottingham Forest, whose troubles continue. Uh, 2-1. Leicester had uh, a late red card and uh, lost at home 2-1 to Aston Villa. And Chelsea and Liverpool played out a nil-all draw. A nil-all draw between Chelsea and Liverpool. And uh, I think there's quite a big Serie A game on as well. And it's a one-all draw between Juventus and uh, Inter Milan. Inter Milan. So uh, they were the uh, big football scores of uh, the morning.
Uh, we shall uh, take a short break. Uh, it's a chicken or beef schnitzel. It's beef schnitzel. It's got to be beef schnitzel. And I'll tell you something else I'd do with those uh, former champions. I'd get a, a, a whole keg of very cold, very cold DB Export, and I'd make them all stand and scull a pint of cold DB Export just to finish dinner off. That would be the complete master's dinner for me, 954. Service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, Jeff has texted in and said, Will Somerville is going to be uh, a financial advisor at Jardin. So uh, he's got life after cricket sorted out. Obviously a very intelligent young man as well. So uh, all the best to Will uh, Somerville. Mark's come in and said, morning, uh, morning, Smithy, I'm having three bets in the Masters. Tommy Fleetwood to be in the top five. Not one of my choices, Mark, but good on you. After the first round, uh, after, and uh, either Fleetwood and Fox to win. Wow, gone the F way. Uh, Fleetwood and Fox. Uh, interesting. Uh, when I talk to Dave, and I will be talking to Dave uh, Bileski, I will ask him about Jason Day. He's got one of my questions anyway, so I'll ask him about Jason Day. That's uh, Dave Bileski coming in to us after 11. But coming to us uh, in a few minutes' time is Brad Lewis, combat sports pundit. Big moves afoot. Big moves afoot. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, in 2001, Vince McMahon threatened to buy the struggling UFC, which no one wanted, and then shut it down. History shows, of course, that didn't happen. And what a full circle moment it was yesterday with the announcement of the owners of the UFC buying the WWE. The implications for both organisations could be huge with the possible crossover promotions, UFC post-fight career options, and maybe some more WWE superstars getting a crack in the octagon. Uh, here to talk about uh, that merger, the possibilities around it, and the style benders shot at reclaiming the middleweight championship at UFC 287 in Miami is Brad Lewis. G'day, Brad. How are you? Smithy, great to hear your voice, mate. I'm very good. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, no problem at all, man. Uh, very interesting time uh, for combat sport. Mm. What were your first thoughts, your impressions, when you heard about the news of this merger? Yeah, uh, merge is the right word. It's interesting, Smithy, like Endeavour now owns, well, they will own 51% of WWE, but they actually haven't paid a cent to do so. Um, it's just the way that this um, whole sort of merger thing works, and it's also allowed Vince McMahon, the, the slimy little swine, um, to keep his um, to keep his role um, within, within the company um, and actually be the second highest um, sort of person within that company, although I will, um, I will caveat that by saying that at any point... He can be fired by the board now, um, which will have 11 members, six of them from Endeavour and five from WWE. And there are members of that WWE board that are in favour of Vince McMahon not being part of WWE moving forward. But I'm just taking a wild, um, a wild stab here, Brad. I'm just taking a wild stab in the dark here. You're not a big Vince McMahon fan? Oh, it used to be uh, when I was a, a young fella. But look, just some of the stuff around what he got up to um, and, and what sort of human he is um, doesn't impress me. And also, Smithy, like um, being a wrestling fan, and look, yep, it's scripted 100%, but his creative vision at this particular moment in time is awful. And uh, yesterday, uh, they had their sort of uh, night after WrestleMania show. Um, WrestleMania was an amazing weekend, by the way. Some great great stuff went on. But um, the, the Raw show last night, 
that was run by Vince McMahon and it was creatively horrible. So, uh, yeah, um, there's a lot of, um, if you go on Twitter right now, there's a lot of angst around Vince McMahon um, being back in charge, pretty much. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how Endeavor handled that. Ariel Emanuel, um, very high-powered person. He's Dana White's boss. He's now Vince McMahon's boss, pretty much. So it'll uh, be interesting to see how Endeavor handled this. But Smithy, $21 billion company um, run by Endeavor, the UFC, and WWE. Apparently, it's going to be called TKO um, Sports or something like that. So that's really interesting. But they are going to control the pay-per-view market in, in the U.S., um, around um, and television broadcasting deals and the billions of dollars. This is insane, man. It's just uh, it's mind blowing what what this company could achieve, um, sort of together, but also being separate. If that makes sense. So how 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 wealthy does this make uh, Dana White in particular? Uh, won't won't be much for him. Um, all of the shareholders at the top level within WWE are going to get about five million dollars um, because the company has effectively been sold. Um, they will lose some shares, but this is not it's business as usual for the UFC. Smithy, nothing really changes for them. Um, Dana White's still the president. Um, he still reports to Ariel Emanuel, and that's the only person he reports to. Um, Nick Khan will be the president of WWE, um, and he will report to. I guess Vince McMahon but there is definitely um, watching the interview with Ariel Emanuel and Vince yesterday Dana White um, will basically still be the boss of the UFC he will not report to Vince McMahon or anything like that um, so Vince is basically the, the chairman um, of the entire company um, but uh, th- there'll be no sort of reporting for Dana White to Vince about can I make this fight or can I make this fight so, so to speak Okay, so in your opinion, can the business continue on its current path and remain successful, uh, or who do you think will be most affected uh, more by the buyout in this in the long term? Uh, from a wrestling standpoint, the fans are going to be affected because um, with Vince McMahon in charge potentially of creative, which he said he'll keep his, um, his wheezy little nose out of, um, but that, that certainly hasn't been the case in the last 24 hours. Um, look, I think I think the the UFC benefits as well because um, there's there's more there's a lot of cross promotion here. So like you could see on on a UFC card, you could see you know like a like a Brock Lesnar or a or a Ronda Rousey or a, um, you know there's Cody Rhodes, Roman Reigns, some sort of some some promotion. And same with WWE, you could see Israel Adesanya or Conor McGregor pop up on WWE programming to promote their upcoming fights. Um, this is all going to take about two or three months to be officially confirmed and approved. Um, but it will go ahead, um, and and yeah, once it does, I think you're going to see a lot of cross promotion. And from a WWE standpoint, you'll probably start to see logos on the ring aprons, much like the UFC, and a lot more advertising. Um, and the TV deals that these two companies do, um, specifically in America, are going to be worth billions of dollars, both from a streaming standpoint and a network standpoint. From a women's point of view, the biggest crossover from this point has obviously been uh, Rowdy Ronda Rousey, as uh, they say. Mm-hmm. Would Ronda Rousey, uh, would Ronda Rousey be making more uh, in WWE than she ever could possibly have made in UFC, or vice versa? Yeah. She's on about two and a half million dollars a year. Um, I think she just signed a recent. She recent uh, last year she signed a um a contract extension. So, I mean, she would have been making about seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a fight 
um, something along those lines in the UFC. I think it's probably pretty comparative, but she has a chance to make a little bit more money outside of what she does with WWE in terms of sponsorship and things like that. UFC is pretty strict on what you can do outside of um, of what of being a fighter with your sponsorship. You can't carry sponsors into the ring. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's probably fairly comparative, but she is on an official $2.5 million base salary with WWE. Well, uh, I feel a little bit like Conor McGregor, like you do about Vince McMahon. I like to see him get punched on the end of the snout every time he turns up. But having said that, <laughs> having said that, uh, we, he's been a bit quiet lately. Uh, would he? I mean, he's the showman-type personality that could benefit from both of us, couldn't he? Yeah, and he was uh, very um, uh, prominent on Twitter the last 48 hours, calling out every WWE wrestler you can think of. Um, Conor McGregor is made for professional wrestling, Smithy. Um, as long as he can keep the f bombs in his mouth, uh, I think he'd be he'd be sensational. Um, he, he's 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 athletic. Uh, he's charismatic. Um, he's brash. He's got the Vince McMahon strut. So I definitely think you will see a crossover of potentially UFC stars into WWE. Um, there's not a lot of WWE stars that have sort of a background in martial arts where they could be successful. There's the likes of Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, the former. UFC champ probably a little old these days um, there's a couple of young guys in development that have um, Olympic wrestling pedigree so you could see that sort of crossover but I think you're going to see more UFC stars showing up on WWE programming to promote upcoming fights I think Israel, I've interviewed Israel a couple of times he loves WWE he's a massive fan um, I think you know if, if he wins this fight this weekend gets his title back you might see him pop up on WWE programming ahead of his first defense um, later in the year Okay, so Vinnie Mac is uh, clearly uh, very business savvy, um, even though we don't like him. Uh, if not completely off his head at times, and uh, those eyes are unbelievable. Uh, with Dana White, uh, Dana White confirming that in 2011, Vince called him to challenge him to a real fight at either a UFC yeah. event or WrestleMania. Dana apparently told him he was crazy. Yeah, yeah, they have a. They actually have a really good relationship, and I mean, they're they're, they're both two very similar people. They'll probably um they'll they'll, they'll kill their mother for a dollar smithy. So um, yeah, like uh, I, I not not a fan of both. More a fan of Dana than than, than Vince, to be honest. Um, but not yeah. Uh, an interesting. I think you could see Dana White one hundred percent show up on WWE programming. Um, you could probably do a storyline around that with Dana and the UFC. Um, but but yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I just I don't want Vince McMahon anywhere near this smithy. I just uh, his day has come. He's dyed his hair. He's got this gross mustache. Um, I just um, he's just he's not a particularly nice human. Um, I know he's seventy eight, seventy nine years old. So hopefully um, the Grim Reaper is approaching him in the in the not too distant future, and we no longer have to put up with him anymore. <laughs> Um, in this world. All <laughs> oh, right, I have to tend for this a wee bit by saying, uh, sad news That's just yesterday. My opinion. Uh, yes, I know, I know, and uh, I appreciate yep. it, uh, and I, I love yep. your emotion <laughs> in it as well. Uh, there'd been a bit of emotion, yep. I would imagine, too, for you yesterday because of the sad news of the passing yeah. of Robert Miller, Bushwhacker Butch, uh, 78 years of age, um, Hall of Famer, legend, unbelievable. Mm. Absolutely, and, and what was really sad, it was on the day that out the first New Zealander appeared at WrestleMania since Bushwhacker Butch, I think in 25, 26 years, and Dakota Kai, who was in a fantastic matchup on um, Sunday, uh, New Zealand time, so um, there was kind of a full circle moment, and a, a real shame, Bushwhacker Butch has done a lot for young professional wrestlers in New Zealand. 
Um, and I guess to, to sort of promote WWE back in the day, I mean, like, a, you know, the Bushwhackers were, were a prominent part of WWE back in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, they're, they're an awesomely entertaining tag team. Um, uh, Butch, Mr. Miller was a great, was a great human being as well. Really, really nice guy. Um, and, you know, like he, you know, he, he was a really good friend of Hulk Hogan's, for instance, and, you know, Macho Man Randy Savage and people like that. He, he, he went in, um, in esteemed circles back in the day and, look, rest in peace. And, and Bushwhacker Luke's still going, Smithy, um, and still wrestling as well in his 70s, which is, which is unbelievable. Wow. Oh, man, I've got to get yeah. hold of that guy. Somehow we've got to get hold of Bushwhacker Luke. Uh, right, let's get yeah. uh, on the, the back to the UFC if we can, uh, Brad, because it's uh, 287 this weekend. It's Pereira versus uh, Adesanya. Mm. So uh, preview this for us. What? Uh, how do you see this going? Oh, man. Um, the heart says Izzy. The head says Pereira. Basically, on the fact that Izzy's never beaten him, both in kickboxing or MMA, you go back to look at their first fight, and Izzy dominated. He was two minutes away from defending his title. Um, and then sort of um, hurt his leg on a check leg kick, and then um, Alex Bahada smelt blood and just went after him and, and finished the fight. The thing about this fight, Smithy, is that Bahada's... I think Izzy's a better striker than Alex Bahada, but Bahada, much more powerful, has that one punch or kick knockout power, which Izzy doesn't really possess. He's more a punches and kicks and bunches type of guy. Um, so that's the scary thing about this fight is everything could go well for Izzy for 24 minutes and 55 seconds, but Bahada can end the fight with five seconds to go with one shot, which is what happened in the first fight. So um, I, I don't know. I, I just, I just, Izzy's, Izzy's a very confident guy. Um, I just don't know if, if he has, if he, if deep inside he believes he can actually win this fight because Bahada's proven that despite the fact that Izzy's dominated multiple occasions when they've fought, Pajada's always come out with his hand raised. So, um, yeah, uh, Hart says um, Izzy, head says Pajada, but it is one of those sort of 51-49 sort of percent fights where um, it's, it's very, very close. So you, 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 from a strategy point of view, from uh, Adesanya's point of view, say CKB, CKB are looking at what a, a, try to, a hit and run sort of situation, hit and get out. Yeah, and he can outpoint Bahada 100%. He did that in the first fight. I also think that you'll see wrestling um, from Izzy. He proved it in the first fight that he can get Bahada down and control him while he's down there. I know that doesn't excite a lot of people, but at the end of the day, um, Izzy's um, focus and goal is to win this fight and go about that any way possible. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think you... Uh, I think the hit and move um, philosophy would be would be really good. He tried that in the first fight and it worked for you know twenty two minutes. But uh, yeah, he um, it's it's just one of those things where he knows he cannot make a mistake in this fight, whereas Bahada can make several and still win. That's the danger of of the sport. And what I love about it, um, Smithy, is styles make fight and fights. And in this fight, you've got the two best strikers in MMA. Um, but one has that vicious one-punch knockout power where the other one is just a technical genius. Stylebender's quite a nice name. It would suit uh, WWE, wouldn't it, if, uh, if the future <laughs> points that way? Absolutely. And, and Izzy's, again, I said Conor McGregor built for UFC. Izzy is as well, and he's a phenomenal athlete. Um, he's a great talker. He could 100%, I could see Izzy wrestling at a WrestleMania or something like that. Um, but, you know, his his star was shining very, very bright not that long ago. Um, that's the that's the brutal thing about the sport. Smithy is if he loses this fight, then where to next? Like, he's lost to the champion mm -hmm. twice. Does he just go back fighting the guys that he's already beat? So, And as he said, he's only in the sport for a short 
short um, for a short time and a good time, not a long time. Um, so yeah, um, my question is: is if Izzy doesn't win, could this be the final time we see him fight? Because if he doesn't think he can wear the gold, then I don't see Izzy wanting to stay in the sport just to fight a whole contenders looking to try and jump him in the rankings. Brad, this is a, an amazing uh, Sunday coming up. I imagine I know what you're going to be doing. The early prelims prelim start at 10 a.m. Uh, Logan Swinkle's producer nominates Holland versus uh, Ponzinibbio for the must-watch match. What do you reckon? Yeah, absolutely. Great fight. Also, um, Kevin Holland in a must-win position. Ponsonibio, a, a good fighter. That is a great fight. Also, look out for uh, Raul Rotas Jr., who's um, the youngest fighter in the UFC. He's undefeated. Um, he's, a, he's a great young talent. Um, and I'm happy I get to watch it because a couple of weeks ago, I didn't think I would. Um, but that's for another time. So, uh, you know, thanks to a previous employer. But anyway, um, looking forward to the card smithy. Um, and as I said, Raul Rotas Jr., fantastic fight. Look out for him. And, and uh, Lobes is right. Kevin Holland, Santiago Ponsonibio will be a great fight. And let's hope that Izzy gets the job done for Nigeria and for New Zealand and for City Kickboxing. Great interview, Brad. Loved every second of it. Uh, love your emotion there. And uh, uh, I guess, uh, like me, we won't be sending a card to uh, Vince McMahon for Christmas this year, eh, if he lives that long? <laughs> no chance, mate. No chance. <laughs> okay, mate. Have a great day. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you, uh, Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I love that. <laughs> There's a bit of a passion there from Brad Lewis. My word, coming off the canvas. Uh, bang, 10.18 here on SCNZ. we got a panel next. <laughs> Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Uh, the panel this morning consists of uh, James Regan and uh, Ben Strang. And uh, good morning to you, uh, Ben. Were you a wrestling fan, Ben, back in the day? WWE, can you even remember um, Bushwhacker Butch? Uh, I, I don't. I, I was too young, I think, for, for Bushwhacker Butch. But I did, uh, I, I do remember growing up watching some uh some wrestling on free air tv if i do remember rightly um in the 90s uh getting up at weird hours and watching a bit of it so um yeah i do i do remember watching a bit of it but unfortunately i didn't get to see the kiwi boys okay right uh, right let's get on to um the kiwi boys in terms of the kiwis shall we uh michael mcguire expected to be reappointed through to 2025 uh that's the next rugby league world cup yeah, I think that's a it's a it's a good move uh, in my opinion. I think that you know when you lose to Australia in the semi final, then you know, uh, and particularly in that fashion by two points and in, in such a a close encounter, I think that there's a lot going right for the Kiwis. I think that Michael Maguire has done a good job. Clearly, the uh, the the key players, some of the 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 key leadership team uh, are in behind him as well. So if if they're only two points off Australia, who are the the champions at that World Cup, hopefully in the next two years they can continue to build and and maybe get the other side of that victory uh, in the next one. Okay, so uh, James Regan joins us live too from uh, uh, One New Zealand Warriors training. Um, I I understand, uh, James, anyway, you broke the story about uh, Michael Maguire. So uh, what was your reaction to that after digesting it? Yeah, um, it was 
one of those things that you kind of expect, but also they did get knocked out. Um, and you'd have to argue as well, their group games in that game against Fiji weren't their best. But you have to say that Michael Maguire is absolutely the right coach to take this team forward. He's built, he, you know, you consider where they were in 2017 and 2018 when they came in after that failed home World Cup campaign. And he's completely turned them around. He's brought some amazing new players in. He's changed the culture of that side completely. They're a really tight group, and they they were absolutely gutted the way they went out of that World Cup and uh, in such a close game against Australia. So the the right move, I think. There'll there'll potentially be a few tweaks, and and you know with a defeat in a World Cup that always comes. Um, but absolutely the, the right move, and it's been such a tough time for the international game that continuity, I think, is is so important and. And Madge is right behind this team. He's so he's so invested in it. So to give him another chance, I think was was in the end a bit of a no-brainer. What what uh, hands-on does he have in the interim then uh, at the moment, Michael Maguire? What's his, what what does he do rugby league-wise before he grabs the Kiwis yeah, again? It's, yeah, it's interesting because the, the Kiwis will only have a handful of games between now and the next World Cup, and he's currently in a in an assistant role with Canberra still. So he's he's got a few days there a week I believe and but I think a large part of his job is just in constant communication with his players particularly senior players who, who will take kind of you know take hold of this squad over the next World Cup cycle the likes of James Fisher-Harris and those guys who, who are on the up and, and will be key leadership figures in that squad just about about culture and about all those things away from the field so that when they do get in camp and when they get their limited time in camp, they can hit the ground running. And that's probably the biggest um, thing that we have to do over the years as we look towards the end of the year when they hopefully get a few games. It'll just be constant communication with players. What areas do we need to improve? What can we change off the field? So that when they get into camp, they're just straight into their footy and, and straight into trying to ultimately try and topple the kangaroos. Mm. Well, that's the goal. Uh, ben Strang. Um, and uh, James Regan with us this morning. Ben, um, interesting uh, watching the Donald Trump fiasco this morning, but it took me back to yesterday with another high-profile court case of which was uh, involving Jared Hayne, found guilty again of sexually assaulting a woman in Newcastle. Uh, how does this now play out uh, for Jared Hayne, obviously insisting that he's uh, innocent of all this? Yeah, it's, it's hard to know because obviously he succeeded with that appeal, which led to this happening i mean it's the the third time he's been before the court so it's um you know there's question marks he, he clearly maintains his innocence but uh at some point you know the the courts have spoken i guess um it's a bit of a sad story considering the the talent he had um it, it does seem to be a a problem in elite sport um that that and it's not just rugby league but but men who seem to think that they can have it all their own way with women and and it's um it, it's pretty pretty disappointing to see i think there needs to be some kind of cultural change in in men's elite sport because it happens too often across several codes so um yeah i mean it'll be interesting to see what jared hayne does but but the uh, the jury spoke and and this is the third time so so perhaps that's the end of it you would think so uh really james wouldn't you think this should put a full stop on it yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw the the images outside court. Jared uh, Hayne insisting he's still innocent, but it's just been 
it's been such a long, drawn-out process and you have to feel for for everyone involved. Um, it's just, it's gone on since 2018, wasn't it, I think, when mm. when this happened. Um, and three three trials later, so hopefully it's, it is all put to bed for the sake of those involved and I completely agree with Ben around some of the, I guess, mentality around players who, who do think they can have it their own way. Um, it's not just league, it's across all sports and and it is a bit of an issue, and it's something we we kind of need to still we still need to work on, obviously a lot. Um, so, yeah, happy for all those involved that this is finally over, and hopefully it is put to bed uh, put to bed good. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure about the psyche of all this. I I, I hate um, when this happens that a, a code gets thrown under the, under the under the bus as well. I mean, he he made his money. He's not, well some of his money because he went overseas as well, but. He made his money out of, of course, uh, and his profile basically out of uh, rugby league. So that's what people associate him with. But he's not a rugby league player when he's doing that, I'm afraid. Um, not the way I think anyway. He's a, a weird sort of a cookie on something who uh, has just uh, done something absolutely crazy, which he has to pay for. But it's a shame, really, um, that rugby league gets thrown up on something of, of that nature. Uh, it's 10.31. Um, and I uh, think we'll take a quick break with Araha when we come back uh, because uh, James Regan is Johnny on the spot at Warriors training we can hear them in the background actually um, we might just get an update on uh, how he sees this week panning out and who's back in Big talk, big opinions the panel Ben Strang, James Regan with us this morning and uh, James Regan is at uh, Warriors training as we speak and James, uh, some really, really good news uh, about Tohu Harrison to Māori Martin, I understand. Yeah, that's right. They're both been named uh, to take on Newcastle, uh, the Newcastle Knights in Newcastle this weekend, which is great. Tohu um, still got that knee quite heavily strapped, so I think he's just taking it a little bit easy today. To Māori Martin, though, is, is full and back in full training, so he's obviously been cleared and, and ready to go off that HIA that he picked up in the Bulldogs. But the interesting thing is probably who's not here, half of the half of the squad in the main NRL starting squad has been given a bit of a morning off because they've been so kind of um, battered and bruised over these past two games, which has been absolutely brutal. So I think Andrew Webster's given them a bit of a morning off. They'll probably have a session later on, but... Um, that's kind of the the rigors and of NRL and how tough this season so far has been. It has been such a competitive year. There's been upsets, there's been everything, but the games have been so tight and so brutal as well. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a morning off, but a lot of players. Dallin is out there as well, which is great to see He's coming back from injury. So everyone who needs to be out there is out there, and uh, it's a glorious day at Mount Smart as well. Yeah, glorious day and a glorious time for the Warriors. Uh, ben, I, I've got to say... Even the biggest optimist couldn't have seen this coming, surely. Um, you know, a top four position after this many rounds, a comeback win like this for the ages last weekend. I, I just, it's hard to sort of equate. We're talking about the same franchise we were bemoaning um, not that long ago. I feel like some of the... Uh some of the confidence of Warriors fans might have actually gone backwards. They, uh, you know, they get themselves so uh, egged up as the season starts. You know, it's always, this is our year, we're going to do it. And, uh, uh, you know, this far into the season, the, the start that they've had, now they're sort of questioning themselves, you know, is, is this our year? Like, is it actually? Like, are we are we actually <laughs> on here to, to have a good season? So, yeah, I mean, they've... Um, 
they've absolutely exceeded expectations. It's great that they've got some of their key players coming back, but but as we've sort of you know, it's it's probably been a broken record. But the way that Andrew Webster has them set up, the way that they defend as a team, the way that they they all fight for each other is just it seems different this year. And so no matter who is put out onto that field, you just feel like you're going to get every ounce of effort out of them. And so it's going to be great to to see how that goes for the rest of the season because there will be some pretty tough moments. Uh, you know, obviously at the weekend against the Sharks, they were well down and that was a tough moment, but but there will be uh, tougher moments ahead and it'll be just interesting to see how they react when that happens. Well, you don't have to be a genuine golf fan to uh, know that uh, the Masters is coming up this weekend, but if you're a genuine sports fan, you'll love the drama and uh, everything that goes with trying to win the green jacket. So that's what's on this weekend, James Regan. Have you had a look at the field for the Masters? Uh, Ryan Fox, of course, is there, and it's the coming together of uh, tradition and live as well. So there'll be plenty of spice at this weekend. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating, isn't it? I mean, the Masters is always great. It's all Tiger did a media, did a media overnight, so that hype is there. We've obviously got Foxy um, there for his debut, which is just fantastic. Kiwi should be really really excited about that he should go he should go pretty well he's in some great form but in terms of the field like picking the masters is almost an impossible task right like on paper you maybe can't look past scotty scheffler but defending champion it's so hard to go back to back at augusta national and and then there's you know the whole beast around this live um tournament and the the players coming together so it's it's going to be great i think there's going to be drama i think my gut tells me that a live player is actually going to win it just in some weird twist of fate, and that'll be... Whoa. I know, I know, and it'll be drama to the max. Maybe that's just the media person in me hoping for a, a few good yarns, but I think I think something's going to happen. I think a live player will, will win it, um, whether you like that or not. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen, but something just tells me there's going to be a bit of drama around it. Well, now that will be an interesting conclusion to the uh, the tournament. I've got to say, uh, Ben, I, I'm kind of thinking the other way. I'm kind of thinking that Rory McIlroy can see... I mean, he's never won a green jacket, but if he can win one in front of all these live people who he has been at loggerheads with basically very publicly over a long period of time, I think this is Rory's motivation. He could go close. What about you? Yeah, he's not a bad shout. He's in fine fettle at the moment. Um you know, Rory, John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Max Homer, those are sort of the the top four that you would expect to, you know, at least be top ten, something like that. Um, it, God, it would be it would be uh, dramatic, wouldn't it, if one of the live guys did well. The only one I can think of that would actually uh, be a chance is Cameron Smith, just because his, his iron play, his putting, his, uh, you know, play around the greens is so good, and that's so important at Augusta. Um, I, I, I was, I, I kind of like the chances of Colin Morikawa. Um, I, I wish if I had a sporting superpower to be his long iron players, just incredible. And, and it, you know, it's so important at Augusta when greens are split into these three different tiers and you, if you'd miss your tier, you're going to putt off the green. Um, he's the kind of guy I think could go well, maybe someone like Tyrell Hatton as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch uh, how these guys play, and and hopefully Ryan Fox has a a really good tournament. But I suspect just the way this course plays, long hitters don't always go as well as you'd think, and so it could eat him up if his irons aren't working. 
Ben, here we are into uh, deep into the first week uh, of April. Uh, yesterday, believe it or not, the Plunkett Shield was won um, in Nelson by Central Districts. And believe it or not, also, uh, there is a one uh, T20 International being played in Dunedin today. Uh, I, I, uh, this cricket season appears from the outside as if it's almost over with the attention it's getting. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's sort of petering out, isn't it? Because, you know, we've had those great test match moments and now most of the main players have headed off to the IPL, so it's kind of this almost a B team uh, that, that's playing in these matches. But it has been a good season. It was a, a thrilling finish for CD to, to win the Plunkett Shield on the final day with, um, I, th- I think it was a friendly declaration, wasn't it, from Auckland? But yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, it has been a good season. I'm off to the Cricket Wellington Awards tonight, um, which will be good fun. A lot of celebration with um, some of the guys there have had great seasons. So, yeah, it's a shame that it's coming to an end, but um, there's always other cricket to watch. I guess uh, I'll be I'll be watching my mates in the uh, in the IPL. But hard to go past Tom Blunder, isn't it? But do you award it for performances at the Black Cap level to Wellington Cricket of the Year? Well, I think um, I think Rachin Ravindra is is going to take basically all the gongs. Um, I, I think you're right that Tom Blunder was has had a stellar year. Also, um, Devon Conway's played extremely well for for the Black Caps, but in terms of Wellington performances, they haven't had much chance to to wear the Wellington colours. So, um, yeah, I think it's Rachin Ravindra who's kind of playing at a Black Cap level for for Wellington, and um, so so I expect he's going to be cleaning up a bunch of the awards and I think Amelia Kerr is probably going to be amongst the, the women's awards as well. She's had a fantastic year as well. Stellar yeah, absolutely stellar. Uh, ben String, uh, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, James Regan also uh, good enough to come to us live from uh, One New Zealand Warriors uh, training this day and, and interesting to note that uh, a lot of the big players are having uh, the morning off so the bodies are sore but uh, a real chance I think against uh, Newcastle to go back to back against them in just the first uh, six rounds so that'll be interesting 10.42 here on SENZ Culture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ at 10.47, we were talking to James Regan, who was at uh, practice live uh, for the um, uh, Warriors uh, this morning and uh, noting that uh, a number of key players weren't there, none of the core players who have beaten up a wee bit. Uh, but they did name a squad uh, yesterday, and uh, Logan Swinkles, you were all over that. Uh, yes, for those who haven't heard it already, uh, this is how the team looks to go against the Newcastle Knights at fullback. At fullback, Charles Nickel Clockstar. In the wings, Ed Corsi and Marcelo Montoya. In the centres, Viliami Valia and Adam Pompey. Your halves were back to the golden pairing of Sean Johnson and Tamari Martin. Great to have him back. Uh, the front row consists of Aidan Fanua, Blake, Wade Egan at nine, and uh, Bunty Alfoa. Jackson Four gets the start again. Now, with Maratania Kore out with suspension from that hip drop tackle, that's a whole nother thing entirely. Uh, Bailey Surinan is going to get the start. Torhu Harris is back, which is great to here. Um, yeah, I mean, we just heard there from James Regan that he's still heavily strapped in the knee, so hopefully he is okay to start. 
Uh, of course, though, they've got to name him uh, one way or the other. So if he is out and doesn't play, you imagine probably Josh Curran comes in there. Dylan Walker making the 14 jersey sexy, as uh, Mark Stafford likes to say. Curran there on the interchanges along along with uh, Jazz Tavanga and Tom Ali. Uh, in the reserves is Dylan Watini Zalesniak. So you imagine he he's not going to play for the Warriors quite likely, but he could be in the New South Wales Cup uh, this week, Smithy. And on the other side of things there, um, if Tohu does play... It's going to be like the uh, the young versus the old because uh, Jack Johns, son of uh, Matty Johns, is also wearing the 13 jersey but for Newcastle. So I'm really looking forward to that matchup, that battle with the Knights and the Seagulls. Uh, last round was awesome. Uh, Lachlan Miller in the fullback as well. Uh, and then Jackson Hastings has been one who's been of interest. Uh, so again, the halves pairing in this matchup is going to be one to look forward to. But we have to wait until 8.15 p.m. on Sunday, Smithy. It's a long time to wait, but it's going to be a great one for Easter. And of course, uh, you'll have live commentary here on SNZ with uh, Kempi and Sammy Hewitt from 7 p.m. And running it straight today, big guest, 3 p.m. Smithy, Dylan Walker is going to be on the show. Oh, fantastic. Look forward to that. Uh, thanks very much for confirming those uh, lineups, Logan. Appreciate it. Uh, we shall be back very shortly with uh, Louis Herman Watt and uh, Pip Morris, I think, from the TAB today, hopefully. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back soon. Okay, just looking for the field in the first. Um, Tiakau looked like they had uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight horses in the race and scratched half of them. Uh, Louis Herman Watt, yes, uh, Tauranga and Ashburton today. That's right, so the, um, a couple of race meets on a Wednesday, which is kind of rare, isn't it? Mm, uh, punt, it is. A punter's dream. Or, or a bit of a snake pit, if you haven't done your form properly. And things have been busy this week. I've been looking at the Masters, but there are a, a couple of um, teams that have gone out. And yes, Tiago snuck one down to Ashburton, I think in race nine. Um, you'll be able to bring it up for me. $2.40 into $2.00. But a couple of texters pointed out, and it's been very well backed nice and early. Terry Ray's got a couple of runners down there that I like. I always just say, watch out the market movers in the South Island on these midweek uh, race meets as well. So just watch the market movers very closely. And Tauranga, race number, I want to say three. I was trying to get the fields up. Um, there's a, a couple of nice chances in there. Peter and Dawn Williams have a horse for the investigator that goes around in an each-way price. And Mark Walker has one that he's racing for Sir Peter Vella. He's training for Sir Peter Vella that was backed in last start. That's going to go a really nice race as well. So there's a couple of Cornella options around there. And then this weekend, it's the New Zealand Thoroughbred Breeders, our last group one of the year. And you remember yesterday, Smithy, I said that watch out for the, the tracks. At, watch out what happens with the tracks in Australia because it has been heavy again. And just don't be surprised if you start hearing some rumblings about Godolphin not wanting to run Animo. Well, yesterday, Godolphin's manager of um, racing, Vin Cox, went on with Gareth Hall and SEN Track, and he even said, and read into this what you will, I hope that the, if the track gets too heavy, they postpone the meet. So <laughs> why would he be saying that? <laughs> if indeed, they just don't want to run Anima on a heavy track. So just a couple of subtle you know, in, uh, leads for the Racing New South Wales hierarchy including Peter Volandis to think about because this clash with uh, Dubai Honor and Animo is, is going to be well probably generational if they run it and the track is not completely bottomless and I've got my doubts at the moment so that's a bit of a shame but all eyes to there and we'll have markets for Saturday at about 2pm uh, from these on thoroughbred readers meet, uh, breeders meet at Pukekohe 
and of course the rest of the championships card. So looking forward to that, and we'll, we'll be able to dig a couple of winners out for you tomorrow morning. Cool. Thanks, Louis. Have a great day. Al Manette is that horse you were thinking of down south. Al Manette, uh, race nine, and number two. Uh, Pip Morris uh, joins us from uh, the TAB. Uh, Greyhounds on at uh, Monaco. Uh, a heap of sports betting available. Uh, Pip, the Masters. There's some cricket today in Dunedin. The Black Caps in action. They certainly are, and of course they are the best factor in that market. I can tell you, Smithy, very, very popular there. And again, Devin Conway was the top-run scorer. And then, oh, of course, basketball today as well. So much sports going on. I can tell you the most popular NBA power play is Morant, LeBron and Durant. Rick. Get 25 or more points each, boosted at $5.25. A $1.9,000 bet placed on the Raptors head-to-head at their very short quote of $1.08. And $1,000 on the points start magic to cover at five dollars, at a, uh, cover the five. Sorry, at a dollar ninety, and six thousand on the Lakers head to head at a dollar twenty two. And just quickly on the NRL side of things, for the tomorrow night's game, Storm up against the Roosters. Head to head betting so far is quite split evenly, and a six hundred dollar bet placed on the Storm head to head at one seventy eight. And the Mighty Warriors wasn't that a win over the weekend. Then ninety percent of the head to head money is on them at a dollar eighty. Another thousand put on them at a dollar eighty three, and they are. Still very popular in the top eight market. I think there were five twenty-five openings, Smithy. They're now shopping at a dollar eighty. A dollar eighty. They've come down that much. God, the weight of success. Uh, yeah, I know, Pip. That's a, that's a massive move. Uh, thanks very much, Pip. Uh, have a terrific uh, day there, and I uh, hope you're back a winner at the Greyhounds as well. Uh, we're going to be talking golf on that subject uh, after uh, 11 o'clock. We're going to be talking to David Bolesky. Always love to ta- talk to David prior to a big golfing event, and then none bigger than the Masters. Can he tip us into one? Maybe a roughie with some real value? Uh, who does he think uh, can live win it? Can live win the Masters? Surely not. Surely not. The mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You know, it's always great to be back at the Masters. Uh, I feel like, you know, obviously the whole the whole field has sort of been building up and up to this point. Um, you know, the the entire calendar year. So good to be back. As you said, I've I've been up here quite a bit um, recent weeks. I've played 81 holes in the last two and a half weeks. So um, sort of very familiar with the place again, and uh, obviously just looking forward to to getting the week started. Yeah, this is probably one of the the tournaments for me where I, I get the most nervous I guess. I think that first tee, just the kind of crowd, the the feeling, the atmosphere you get around here is unlike anywhere else and you know it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. Once I hit that first tee shot I, I generally calm down a little bit and can really start to see the round unfold but you know that half an hour before it is uh, yeah it's it's not nice. <laughs> So first of all, you heard there uh, from Rory McElroy, and uh, you also heard from uh, Cameron Smith. Of course, uh, both sides of the fence there, um, and uh, two of the hottest properties on golf. Just they're uh, living on different properties at the moment. Uh, Rory McElroy needs to win uh, the Masters to complete uh, his Grand Slam, his life Grand Slam of tournaments. Um, he's already picked up, of course, uh, the Open Championship, the PGA, and the U.S. Open. And this will complete the deal and cement him, uh, if he wasn't already, as one of the greats of the game. So plenty of motivation there for Rory McIlroy. Also, of course, he's been the lead spokesman uh, against Live Golf. Uh, and so therefore, he finds that motivation quite easy 
to try and knock them over as well and prevent uh, one of their players, the likes of uh, Cam Smith, um, the likes of Brooks Kepler, Dustin Johnson, Bubba Watson, all those names, Louis Oosthuizen who uh, jumped the fence. Uh, they're all in, in line to pe- perhaps win this because they've all got invites back into the conventional side of it. So um, that is uh, one of the great sidelines, I think, one of the great sidelines to the Masters this time around. Um, golf fans everywhere, myself included, are counting down. Of course, it's uh, just a couple of nights sleep now until it tees off. Uh, in fact, uh, the first teeing off will be done by Jack Nicholas, uh, Gary Player, and Tom Watson. They are the uh, fellows who are going to strike the first drives down to. It's always a traditional thing to launch the the fact that uh, the Masters is underway. So yes, it's Player. Nicholas and Tom Watson this time around continuing on that great tradition. So who are the players to watch out for? Well we know a bloke who's uh, pretty good at picking winners and some pretty long shot winners as well. You can find him on Twitter at Deep Dive Golf and of course it's uh, a golf analyst David Bileski who uh, we need to have uh, on the show uh, before this very important golfing occasion. David uh, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Smithy. Pleasure as always to be with you. How's, how's your trend? Uh, how you how have you trended so far? What are we into? Uh, just early April. How's it gone so far for deep dive golf uh, in the early stages of the year with the first major coming up? It's been a, a very good year, Smithy. We had um, we had Taylor Moore recently at the Valspar um, Championship, who won at um, odds of seventy to one. Um, he was uh, trending very very nicely, and um, it has had a pretty stunning start to, to the year so we were able to pick that one up we had Kurt Kitayama at um, the Arnold Palmer Invitational as well at 60 to 1 um, which was another big price winner so it's been um, it's been a, a good good few months and then over in the, the DP World Tour we had um, Nick Barkin who um, was a rookie and in his 12th start one for us down in South Africa at odds of um, 100 to 1 so um, it's been a very very good year and um, obviously a huge week this week with the Masters so um, even those who um, are perhaps just armchair golf fans I think are aware of this uh, tournament and what it means to, to the world of golf as the most prestigious event on the calendar so a very very exciting week to be involved in the golf industry It's just the fact that I like food but I'd also like to be at the dinner I would like to be at the dinner because uh, the atmosphere might have been just a little bit uh, touchy with the all the live golfers present as well, Scheffler, Scotty Scheffler's uh, defending champion uh, so cheeseburger sliders, uh, shrimp for starters, plus the Texas ribeye, or blackened fish for the main, and then the magnificent dessert as well. That wouldn't be a bad dinner to be at, David. Uh, I mean, it would be, be the dream of, of any golfer, I think, to, to sit around that table. It's been interesting this week in terms of the, the narratives, right? So we've got all these live golfers returning and, and being able to compete in the Masters, which is obviously a separate entity in and of itself compared to the PGA Tour. And um, it, it's been fairly collegial for the most part um, at this point. I think, you know, Greg Norman's stirring a few feathers in the media and as he tends to do and as he likes to do. Um, we've got pretty used to that over the last couple of years. Um, but in terms of the players themselves, it seems like it's been pretty collegial. And, and I've been pleased to see that, really, because this is such an important event with such legacy and such prestige that it should be greater than the politics of the sport of golf and what is happening at the moment in terms of live golf and PGA Tour. Um, it should be about about this event and about the integrity of, of keeping that um, prestige that comes with it. So it seems it's been fairly collegial so far.
Talking to David Bileski here, folks. Of course, uh, he's on Twitter at Deep Dive Golf, an amazingly successful uh, site. Uh, if you want some information about um, making a dollar or two out of the Masters coming up, uh, the record is undeniable. Uh, but uh, the question for me uh, to you, David, in terms of form, how do you assess live golf form? It's really difficult. It's it's really, really hard to tell because it, it's it's a thing we were seeing players like Cameron Smith who have been really struggling. You know, they're really struggling with their game and he spoke in his press conference quite openly about the fact that he hasn't put the same amount of effort into his game of late. He's enjoyed a lot of time off. He's enjoyed time with his friends and family. He talked about how last season before his incredible run, you know, he was he was down in Florida grinding on his game the whole off season, really working on um, some things and some weaknesses where he saw areas for improvement and then we saw what he was able to do in terms of winning the Open Championship at St Andrews and winning the players and, and just having an incredibly stunning year. Um, and it's really hard now to gain a gauge of where these players' games are at because mm. they've had their paycheck and they've had this massive paycheck that other than the money, there's very little incentive with these tournaments to go out and play well. There's no... the the fields themselves a week. Cam Smith himself actually openly admitted that in the press conference, which was I thought was pretty groundbreaking, um, that he actually turned around himself and said, look, I'll be the first to admit that these fields are weak. They're weak fields. And so where's their, their motivation week in, week out? It's really hard to judge, you know, are they just turning up to these events and using them almost as practice sessions for the majors and then coming into the Masters, will they be able to suddenly turn it on? I'm probably of the air, and, and you know, you're you're a former professional sportsman yourself, Smithy, that it's very difficult to just simply turn it on as and when you want, and that you really need to, to be in a position where you're building that form and getting the practice and getting the reps in, especially in these high-pressure pr- professional tournaments, in order to then build to something like a Masters victory and slipping on the green jacket. So I do think that there'll be some who will have their backs up. I think that this event is extremely important for Live Golf. They need to see at least one to two names at the top of that leaderboard being competitive in order to really give some legitimacy to their league because there's this narrative out there that this is, you know, an invitational tournament and it's weaker fields as they've admitted themselves. And so to be able to show that at least some of their golfers are still competitive and still really good um, professional athletes um, is important to them. So I do think some of them are going to have their back up. They're going to be really fired up to go out there and compete, and it's going to be a very, very interesting narrative to to watch this week, and, and I hope it is highly competitive because I think it's going to make some very, very compelling viewing. Uh, David, uh, on, on the preparation side of thing, we, we always used to have a saying back in the day, I don't know how different it is now about cricket, but the only way to prepare to play is to play. Um, so mm. that was, you know, that's 20, 30 years ago, mm. so I'm not quite sure if if that is the case now. Um, the other thing, of course, uh, that they perhaps have to look at the live golfers, also some will say, um, and Cameron Smith has said, look, there's no problem here, the atmosphere is good. They're basically coming back um, into a, uh, an environment that is owned by tradition as such, even though they're formally invited as such. So there is also that, do they really want me here kind of thing? Do you think any of them would have that? 
I, I think there'll be some uncomfortable moments. I mean, I'm sure that Patrick Reed and Rory McIlroy aren't, aren't sitting down to dinner after a round. Um, I, I did find it interesting that Rory McIlroy went out and he played nine holes with Brooks Kepler, who, who is, of course, on the on the Live Golf League. And, um, you know, they, they've got a, a friendship there in that they live close to each other and practice in the same places um, between Brooks and DJ and Rory McIlroy. Um, so I found that interesting that Rory went out and got nine holes in with Brooks. And part of Part of me does wonder, though, that you know Rory's kind of been the the flagship leader of this um, the PGA Tour resurgence, as it were, and, and the changing of the formats. And he's kind of been the face of a lot of these conversations. And I do wonder if Rory's felt the need in a practice round to go and put himself in that position with a fellow live golfer, just in case coming down the stretch, you know, he he needs this tournament to complete complete his Grand Slam, and and mm. um, he. In my opinion, got a good chance to do it this year. Um, so putting himself in that position where he has to play nine holes with a live golfer and deal with those situations, um, I think is very savvy from Rory um, in terms of his preparation for his um, tilt of this, this green jacket. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that, uh, it's an interesting thing. I'm just looking at the, the draw in particular. I'm not going to go obviously go through the whole lot, David, but um, Tiger Woods, Victor Hovland, um, and uh, Xander Shoffley, uh, that's appearing. Um, and uh, obviously no live golf there, and Tiger Woods has been quite openly against live, and uh, to pair Tiger with a, a high-profile live golfer would just set the media world on fire. And you look down the other end of the draw, Tom Kim, Rory McIlroy, Sam Burns. No live golfer there as well. And Rory, of course, as we know, has been the chief spokesman against it there. So they've probably, um, in a common sense thing, so try to just put the attention on golf, I guess. Yeah, I mean, look, this, the thing is, is that's going to work across the first two rounds, but where it's going to become difficult is um, once you hit Saturday and Sunday that there's a very clear um, order in terms of when these players go out. And if you happen to be on the same score as the live golfer, you're going out and appearing for the Saturday and the Sunday. So but that's my thinking around where Rory's coming from in terms of his preparation, that we, we could mm. very well see some of those matchups. I mean, we saw it in um, in Dubai, at the Dubai Desert Classic, with Rory McIlroy and Patrick Reed, um, basically tussling at the top of the leaderboard um, you know there, there is a, there is a very good chance I think of live golfers having to play with some of these um, more outspoken members of the PGA Tour Right let's uh, look at, uh, can we just look at Ryan Fox uh, for a second please uh, Billy Horschel, Harris English uh, Ryan Fox, nice pairing that for him um, golfers, mm-hmm. uh, I think he played Harris English actually in the match play and beat him. So, and Billy Horschel seems uh, a fairly decent sort of guy to spend a, a couple of days with. But uh, looking at history, only three winners at their first attempt. I'm talking Ryan Fox here, including Horton Smith back in 1934 when it was first played. So obviously uh, he had to be the first to win it on his first attempt. But only two since then. Uh, odds against Foxy mm-hmm. here. Dear, yes. Uh, look, I'm 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 one to admit that I'm I'm not the biggest believer in trends, and the reason why is I think that trends often need to be read in the con- context. And you, whenever the Masters comes around, you're going to get trends thrown at your galore of you know nine of the last ten winners have been in the top thirty in the world. You know, and for me, I, w- I want to really take an objective look at those sort of those sort of statistics and see if there's any water. Like, how does that compare to um, other high-profile tournaments. You know, it, it only matters if that is um, outrageously different to what happens at other tournaments. Yes, mm. it, there, there are intricacies with 
Augusta National. And I do think there is a benefit of having played there before. And I do think that corresponding format, Augusta tends to lend itself to then going out and having um, further good performances at it. But in my opinion, Ryan Fox profiles very, very well for this course. I think particularly with the weather that's that's forecast for this week, it does look like it's going to be a very wild week for weather. There's going to be a substantial amount of rain. Um, but when we're looking at those sort of factors, this course is going to play extremely long. It is going to need... It is going to need driving distance, in my opinion, to be successful this week because the the extra um, softness of the conditions is going to result in the fact that a lot of these par fives, many of the players are going to be laying up, particularly the par the par five thirteenth, which is being lengthened as well. Um, Rory spoke about that in his press conference today of of basically hitting having a perfect drive and still being left with the five iron into the green with the ball about twenty inches above his feet. You know that's a that's a difficult shot and and. And lengthening that hole has really posed that question to golfers now of do I go for it or don't I go for it? Whereas previously, if they've been in the, the fairway, it's it's just a no-brainer and they're going for, the, for that green in two. So I, I do think that, that Ryan Fox's um, metrics in terms of his driving distance, in terms of his approach play, some of the key ingredients that I'd be looking at to be to be successful here. Um, driving actually also doesn't matter as much at, at the Masters compared to um, the other courses that we see on the tour. And, and if there's any hole in Ryan Fox's game, it's potentially that he's a little wayward off the tee occasionally. So mm-hmm. I, I do think he, he profiles really well. I think he's a dark horse in this tournament. Um, I think he can potentially buck that trend. He's been in starting form and he's, he's risen to the occasion on, on multiple um, tournaments across the last two years. So, yeah, as I said, I think reading those trends in context um, does does matter. I mean, it it, it is an anomaly that nobody has won um, on debut or only two, two golfers have managed to do that. Um, but, yeah, it, it just matters in terms of does, how does that compare to what happens on other courses um, as well. Right, looking at, um, uh, I've done a, a, looked at a couple of markets and uh, basically your top 10 is around about McElroy, Scheffler, Rahm, Spieth, Cantlay, Thomas, Finau, Dustin Johnson, the highest uh, rated live golfer, uh, Shoffley and Cameron Smith. Now if you look at any major basically with uh, the exception of uh, the, the two live golfers, that's pretty much a favouritism board anyway. Um, can you see it coming from outside there, David? In terms of a winner, um, look, yes. I, I, I think it's I think it's going to tend to to lend itself to the top of the board. It often does. Um, I've got a, a few guys that I like um, a bit further down the board. I think someone like Minwoo Lee could give this a really good tilt. Um, he profiles really well for this course. Um, he's just come off um, a pretty stunning run um, recently of results, and um, obviously his sister Minji Lee has already won um, two majors as well on the um, the female tour. So I'm sure that there's some sibling rivalry there. Um, Minwoo Lee, we we recommended as a future um, back earlier this year when he was still um, at triple figure odds and he's been cut right into 55. So there's a lot of money coming his way and I think that he's um, a potential um, who could spike. Um, Tony Finau, out of those names that you mentioned, I think he's um, a chance as an outsider. Jason Day as well. Um, his game has really improved of late. Um, and, and 
again, just going back to the trends conversation, I mean, Jason Day's ranked 31st in the world, but we've all seen what's happened to Jason Day's game over the last couple of years. Mm. But we know that it's the baseline talent's there and the amount of improvement he's shown this season. So, um, you know, it'd be a bit rash, I think, to just simply discount him because he's outside the, the top 30. Um, in, in terms of the leading chances, I, I really believe that this is Roy McElroy's year. I, I think that this is his tournament. And the, the reason why is I think that he now has that added, it's bigger than him in terms of if we see a live golfer towards the top of the board going for a green jacket, we we know that Rory is going to be giving his absolute all to go out there and take it off him. And I think that actually removing it away from his own personal achievements and then making it a bigger thing about the future of professional golf and what happens down the line, I think that's actually a benefit for Rory. Um, I've seen some real, real improvement in this game He's on, he's on a very, very good trajectory, and I, and I think that he um, he gets the job done this year. I think you're right. I, I think uh, for the exact same reasons, I think you're right. I think uh, motivation is huge, and the, the, the career Grand Slam is the ultimate carrot, and sticking it up a few people as well, I think, for Rory McIlroy would be ultra-sweet. Uh, David yeah. Bileski, as always, uh, fantastic to talk to you um, and get your insight on uh, the course as well. Uh, Twitter, folks, uh, Deep Dive Golf. Deep Dive Golf on, on Twitter. David Bileski tips them out. I promise you that. So uh, make sure you, you have a look. It is, uh, you might make a buck or two out of it, I'm sure. Uh, a lot of people are. David, thanks for your time and uh, enjoy the weekend. Thanks, Millie. Thank you. And, and if I can just give a quick plug, we've got a, a YouTube show um, this afternoon as well going live where we have Greg yep. Desham from the First Cut podcast um, with CBS Sports. So um, that will be going at 1 o'clock um, this afternoon live on YouTube. So you can find that at Win Daily Sports on YouTube if you want to tune in and um, get some more advice from the experts. Win Daily. Okay, thanks very much. Uh, will do. And I'm sure a lot of people have just taken note of that. Uh, thanks, David. Uh, as I say, have a terrific weekend. Thank you. You too. Enjoy it. Cheers, uh, David Bileski there. We'll take a break at 11.22 when we come back. Uh, a visit to the sports desk, I think, is uh, on the cards. SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Call anytime. 0800 150 811. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Yes, and let's find out now from producer Logan Swinkles. Uh, we'll keep it uh, short and sweet today, Smithy, before we get to a bit of stumping uh, action today. Uh, from New Zealand to start with, we go to the Sales NBL because big news coming out this morning, Smithy, that Sales Authentic New York Pizza has signed a new six-year deal with the New Zealand National Basketball League that will see, uh, it's they say it's New Zealand's best and most authentic New York pizza, which I concur as the league's naming rights partner through until the 2028 season. That new deal will elevate the partnership between Sales and the NZNBR to being one of New Zealand's longest headlining sports partnerships, extending now to 11 years. So you can imagine how happy Justin Nelson would be feeling this morning, Smithy. Oh, that's fantastic news. Great surety for a, a growing sport. Obviously, Sal's have seen the growth and development throughout uh, the country in terms of uh, all ages in basketball, on and off court in terms of the interest. 
I think it's a great signing for both. Absolutely great. Great surety through for five years. Fantastic. And through to the NFL, this is uh, this is a prickly one, Smithy. Uh, Arizona Cardinals owner Michael Bidwell is accused of gross misconduct, including cheating, discrimination, and harassment in an arbitration claim filed by former Cardinals executive Terry McDonough to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. McDonough maintained that both he and former Cardinals head coach Steve Wilkes were left with no choice but to follow Bidwell's plan to use burner phones to communicate with former Arizona GM Steve Keim while Keim was serving a five-week suspension after pleading guilty to an extreme DUI in Arizona. McDonough said he still has the phone, which he said contains the evidence of the cheating scandal as well as additional documentation. And in a detailed response sent to ESPN, this all comes from Adam Schefter, their senior writer, the Cardinals strongly denied the allegations, calling them outlandish. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Only in America, eh? The Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Who's their quarterback? moment Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> honestly I pay like, so little attention to the Cardinals <laughs> I want to say it's still I want to say what? it's still Murray but um I I honestly don't know once the season like the, is done is I kind of switch off it's like the D-backs for me the, the Diamondbacks they just sort of they're just under the radar John Follett would hate uh, me to say that John Follett former <laughs> CEO of Sky Sport and uh, Tuatara backer but um mm. he's an Arizona Diamondback man from uh, way 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 back but uh, yeah, they just don't hit the headlines that much, but they have today, uh, Arizona. Yeah, normally for the wrong reasons because their teams kind of, I mean, if I look at the uh, Arizona Coyotes in the NHL, they're not doing great as per normal, but in staying with the NHL, lastly here on Sports Desk, Smithy, uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs are around the corner, but the big narrative that's been around for a few weeks now is this whole issue of pride jerseys and whether te- uh, teams will wear them, they'll support the initiative, will players not wear them on the basis of their religious beliefs and some Russian players also um, looking to not wear them under the threat that they might get persecuted under Russian law. Uh, The new ones come out today. There's a big focus on it because uh, the National Predators are doing their Pride Night. They're hosting uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. They are going ahead with it, and this is what defenseman Tyson Barry had to say on the importance of it. He he thinks it's an awesome initiative, uh, and it's something really close to his heart. He's got family members and best friends in the community, uh, and there's a little bit of frustration on his end with what's transpired this year with everything, and I think I know how hard it can be for people to come out and live the authentic lives, and I hope that none of the stuff that's gone on has pushed anyone back, any young kids who are thinking about it. So I'm just really, really excited that everybody on our team is going to participate. And then on the other side of that, Smithy, the St. Louis Blues are hosting the Philadelphia Flyers and they're opting not to wear pride jerseys. So it's just this real prickly ongoing uh, situation about whether they support the initiative or not. I find that quite ironical, actually, that the Russians might uh, have objections to that. Here's a country at war, right? They've invaded another country. They're very lucky to be playing in the NHL, those are Russian players. Very, very lucky in the first place to be playing there. And all of a sudden, they're going to take the moral high ground on, on a jersey? I know. What Spe- are they on about? Speaking of that, if you've never seen it, there's a really good documentary called The Red Army, uh, which is all about players that defected from Russia and, and doing so uh, facing persecution if they ever returned. Really, really good stuff. Okay, fine. Right, um, interesting there. Thanks, uh, Logan, from uh, 
the sports desk put your other hat on now because we got a hundred bucks uh, up for grabs this morning on Stump Smithy. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Brian is sitting waiting for the calls, folks. Uh, and then Logan will be the quiz master. Uh, we'll take a, a short break with some news from Araha, and when we return, it's game on, as they say. Game on for 100. Be primed to go for maybe a 150. Yeah, a 150 would be would be nice. It depends, of course, on uh, the subject. I'm just in that buoyant kind of a mood. I think it's Masters fever I've got, uh, green jacket fever. And I'm, I'm uh, feeling quite confident, so uh, I would be hoping golf or the Masters might be one of your subjects, but I don't know. Who's the first up? Who's first up for us today? Well, it, it might be a topic. It might be a topic, Smithy. And, of course, it's been a short week uh, for you, at least. I know tomorrow's your last day before you head into the long weekend. So I know you're ready for a big finish. But we're going to go to Andrew uh, from Auckland first. Come in, mate. G'day, guys. Good to be here. Debut uh, stopped by Smitty. So uh, hopefully I can uh, get one over you, mate. Okay, Andrew. Well, good luck on uh, on debut. Um, this is very interesting. So, um, right, um, if you had a subject, if you could pick a subject, what would it be, Andrew? Like, I like to do a bit of a bio on the new guys. What, what would you, what would you prefer? Yeah. If you... Probably something. Definitely not cricket because you're pretty good at that. And uh, rugby, maybe league or uh, football. Okay, well, Logan Swinkle's given the good or bad news. <laughs> All right, well, the good news for Smithy is golf is one of the topics. There's also basketball and rugby league. Take your pick. Ooh, I might actually go for basketball here. All right, good luck. Of course, if you get a question wrong, it's over to Smithy for a chance to knock your bales off. First question, Andrew. The sales NBL tips off tomorrow. Oh, I can't wait. With Smithy's Bayhawks taking on the Franklin Bulls. The Hawks have a long history in the comp, joining the year after the inaugural season. What year did the New Zealand NBL play its first season? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. Oh, I think I can remember going to Pettigrew Green Arena to watch the Bayhawks on, on a couple of occasions. Was it earlier than that or later than that? Oh, I can't. I'm just wrecking my brains here. I've got to go. It perhaps was just a little later than that. Uh, I'm going to go 1995. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Actually, just a little bit before the start of my lifetime, or Brian's, 1982. Wow, that far back. Okay. Yes. So. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So that means the Hawks have been in it since 1983. Second question for you, Andrew. Three teams remain from that inaugural season in 1982. Can you name one of them? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not the Sharks. We already know it's not the Hawks. Smithy. 
Right, okay, I, I'm going to say, I, I'm going to say this because um, I've had a proud tradition going way, way back with Nick Mills. Um, so I'm going to say it might have been in those days the Exchequer Saints, but probably the Wellington Saints today because it was the Exchequer nightclub. So I'm going, I'm going to say the Saints from Wellington. One of the worst things I have ever no. seen done on a cricket field. Funnily enough, Smithy, oh. when... When Brian workshopped these questions with me, I actually had the same answer. My go-to was the Wellington Saints as well, but they actually joined the following season along with the Hawks. So the three original, the three teams that still remain from that inaugural season are the Canterbury Rams, the Manawatu Jets, and the Nelson Giants. Oh my God! There you go. History lesson there. Last question, Andrew. Hundred dollar TAB bonus bet up for grabs here. The Sales NBL is set for expansion in 2024, adding two new teams. Can you name one of the regions getting a new team? Queenstown. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Well, you got one. You got one. Oh, Smithy. Probably the only one you I want to get. To be honest, I've got a oh. Sal's NBL uh, watcher, but I'm um, <laughs> stoked to get that one over the line on debut, you beauty. <laughs> on debut. Oh, my God, I hate that. Okay, Andrew, congratulations. <laughs> you stay on the line because you're on debut because uh, Brian will have to get your details. So, uh, hey, thank you for playing. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, spend the hundy wisely. Uh, and have a terrific uh, long weekend. Andrew, uh, thanks so much for taking part. Thanks, Smitty. Appreciate it. And just a quick uh, shout-out to any Aston Villa supporters out there. We won again this morning. We're up to the lofty heights of seventh place and we're starting to get altitude sickness up here. So we're dreaming of European nights and things are starting to look a bit better in the Midlands. I've got to say, Andrew, for a debutante, you're taking a few liberties here. As well as the money. Okay, fair enough. We'll, we shall meet again, Andrew from Auckland. We shall meet again. Uh, have a terrific day. It's uh, 11.40 and uh, because it's uh, a Wednesday, of course, uh, we'll hop across and talk to Andy Thompson. Rural Roundup Day. Covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, 11.46 on a Wednesday, which means it's a rural roundup day and we always uh, like to catch up with Andy Thompson to see what is uh, on his show. Of course, um, I've been looking uh, along uh, the headlines during the week on rural issues. One that concerned me a little bit, Andy, uh, good morning to you, is that the, some young rural vets are quitting because of work pressure down south. Yes, Smithy. Yeah, exactly. It is quite an issue. G'day, mate. Um, it is quite an issue for um, for vets to maintain uh, staff, and and one of the issues is that um, there's just not enough of them. So you get these young vets, they get into these jobs, and then the work pressure of the amount of work that they're expected to do or need to do uh, is absolutely um, overwhelming. And part of the problem is they can get paid so much more in other countries around the world. So why why wouldn't they? If you're a young vet, you might as well head off, do the OE, and um, get paid significantly significantly more for what you're doing now eventually they do come back but the ones that are left behind um, get get stuck with um, you know a massive massive workload because uh, the the work doesn't stop just because um, there's less vets around so yeah it is a big problem okay um, I noticed you're at home today you're not at a, a 
you're not anywhere <laughs> at a field days. So uh, no, nice to no, see I'm you home. home. Yeah. <laughs> I am. Hey, Smithy, I was going to ask you a question. What were you doing when you were 21? But I actually remember that. You were probably wicket-keeping for New Zealand, if I remember, when you were 21. Is that right? No, it's a bit, uh, bit later than that. I think it's closer to 23, actually. 21, playing for Central Districts, trying to win oh, good uh, man. the Plunkett Shield every year. That's it. Yeah. Good to see we won it again, by the way. Yeah, excellent, absolutely. Yeah, knocking over yeah. or depriving the can tabs, which uh, doesn't go down too well on, uh, everywhere on the show, oh, but uh, unfortunately. I have, mate. I love that. I love that. I am a Crusaders fan, not a Canterbury fan, as, as I say. <laughs> hey, look, um, well, the reason why I asked that question, I've got a young guy on the show yeah. today, Henry Clues. Now, he's a gunmaker from the UK. Now, okay. I can't say which country. I can't say which company he works for, um, but let's just say it's one of the most prestigious uh, gun-making companies in the world. Um, Put it this way, if you want a cheap one, it's £30,000. That's how much they cost. Oh, God. He's he's been doing this since he was 16 years old. He's now 21. Uh, And he's actually here, staying at my place. He's a mate of my son's, and they're out here hunting on the raw, so he's come out to New Zealand uh, to hunt for a month. But his trade is gun-making. So I thought, mate, that is too good an opportunity to miss. You and I are going to have a chat. Have you seen 1923, um, Smithy? You watched that program? I have not, Andy. Okay, so it, it... Okay, so, well, it's, 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 it starts off hunting in Africa in 1923. Uh, the reason why I say that is, is the type of hunting rifle that this, uh, the guy uses in that series uh, is actually one of the types of guns that this guy makes. So it's a side-by-side rifle, um, something that I wasn't that, that, you know, like a big game hunting gun. But they also make over-and-under shotgun side-by-sides. And so I want to talk to him about the whole process of making these incredibly expensive guns. I said the cheap ones, 30, uh, the more expensive ones around 140, 150,000 pounds. So that sort of So think lock, stock and two smoking barrels, so shotguns. Oh, well, okay. What else on the show, uh, apart from um, well, um, a little bit of gunfire? Yep. Well, I, yep. I heard you and um, Araha speaking yesterday about the cheese price. Um, yep. So the good thing is that uh, in the global dairy trade auction, well, actually, no, the bad thing for you is cheese actually went up uh, 3.8% overnight. The bad news for dairy farmers is the auction actually plunged 4.7%. Whole milk powder, which was the largest amount, uh, the largest product at Fonterra Cell, that went down 5.2%. This isn't good news for dairy farmers. So we're going to chat to Nathan Penny, who is the Westpac's uh, senior agri-economist, and see how that's going to impact going forward for dairy farmers this year, this season. I don't think it's great. Uh, Fonterra knocked 20 cents off the um, season um, earlier this week. I'm wondering whether that's going to cause more. And we're going to talk to Kate Ackland, who is the new beef and lamb chair. So uh, she was um, appointed at the beef and lamb uh, AGM last Thursday. So plenty on the show. We'll do a bit of weather. Um, we've got Telf um, on some sport. He um, gives us his thoughts on the Masters. Uh, he's excited mm. about it as you are. I heard you talking about that. So uh, I'm looking forward to that this weekend. I hope it rains here all weekend. So I've just got a perfect excuse to sit at home and watch it. Yeah, well, uh, I'd like to hear uh, tell some pressure on who he thinks he's going to win. Um, what are chances he thinks uh, Ryan Fox has got as well? Because um, he studies his golf very, very closely. Uh, does uh, Brendan Telfer? Brendan Telfer wants to see um, he wants to see Telfer, uh, wants to see Ryan make the make the cut. That's that's one thing uh, that he does say. But he also has some thoughts about the uh, the live golfers and the PGA golfers joining for this. So uh, have a listen out for that. Okay, Andy, will do. Uh, that's Andy Thompson there. We'll let him go. He's got nine minutes before his show starts uh, on all the frequencies, uh, apart from uh, Auckland and Wellington. So, um, 
meeting the needs here of uh, all our rural uh, listeners around the country. Andy, have a good show. Uh, we'll be back shortly to talk to your alternative uh, in Auckland and Wellington, and that, of course, is Mark Stafford.